Now, you don't have to turn to it now, but towards the end of the gospel, John himself tells us why he is writing this gospel, this account of the life of Jesus. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In other words, according to the Apostle John, there is nothing more important in life, there is nothing more urgent than for you and I to put our faith in Jesus Christ and to believe in him. For the Apostle John, it is a matter of life or death, heaven or hell. And so it begs the question, well, what is faith exactly? And what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ today? Sometimes people say to me, Mark, um, I wish I had your faith, which I think is meant as a compliment, that they want something they don't have and they believe that I have. But if you dig into it a little bit, I think what they are saying is, Mark, I wish I had your ability to believe the unbelievable. Uh, to believe in something which, well, as far as I can see, all scientific evidence says otherwise. Now, what do you normally call someone who believes the impossible? Someone who perceives someone or something to be there that isn't actually there. I'll tell you, my wife's a psychologist. You call them delusional. You call them irrational. You say this is the first step on to, oh, to insanity. Now, these people mean, well, Mark, I wish I had your faith. What they're really saying is, I wish I was as crazy as you. Now, lots of people think of faith like that, whether it's in Jesus Christ, any religion, God himself, that we need to leave our brains at the door, that we've got to take a leap of faith. This week saw famous atheist Richard Dawkins release yet another book. It's called Outgrowing God. The title says it all. Faith is the great cop-out, Dawkins says, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. wonder what you make of that. Uh, it could be for some here, you are looking into Christian things, and it's great to have you with us. And it might be that this is how you imagine faith to be. A leap in the dark, anti-scientific. Ignore the evidence, just believe. It is quite a common view of faith today, and yet it is completely different from the Bible's own description of what faith is exactly. The Greek word for faith, pistis, it comes up 228 times in the New Testament. Every time it comes up, it is used for faith because of evidence. Faith in Jesus Christ because of the facts of Jesus Christ, because of what he has done. And so I want us to see very clearly that the Bible never encourages us to leave our brains at the door, but to think sensibly, rationally about Jesus Christ and to see where the evidence leads. Now let's do that now as we come to chapter 12 and we see two contrasting responses to Jesus Christ. The faith of Mary and the unbelief of Judas. First, in verses 1 to 3, we're on page 1079, we see the faith of Mary. In verse 1, we're told that this is six days before the Passover. Chapters 1 to 11 of John's Gospel have covered the first three years of Jesus' ministry. Now, in chapters 12 to 20, 
they will cover just the final seven days of his life. So there's an increasing intensity to the narrative from now on. There's an increasing urgency to Jesus' message. And above all, an increasing need to respond to Jesus rightly, as we see here with Mary. Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, in case we'd forgotten that from last week in chapter 11. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, clearly her love language is acts of service, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. Now imagine the conversation going on between those two. How did you do it? How did you bring me back from the dead? How many more years have you given me? Then, verse 3, Mary took about half a liter of pure nard. That is not some cheap anchor butter. That is an expensive perfume. We're told in verse 5 it's about uh, worth a year's wages. So take £10.50 London living wage. We're talking just under £20,000 worth of perfume in today's value. And she pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair. That is something Jewish women would never do in public. But Mary does not care what other people think. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So here then is the faith of Mary. As she loves Jesus in this very costly way, and as she devotes herself to him, no matter what other people think um, about it. And if you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, I wish I had her faith, I wish I had her love, I wish I had her devotion, bear in mind that Jesus has just brought her brother Lazarus back from the dead. And what would you not give to someone like this who can bring your loved ones back, who has the power over death itself, who has promised life after death, eternal life, this world made right and perfect again to all those who believe in him? Faith is not something that we need to magic up inside ourselves. I just need to believe against belief. I just need no. Faith is simply a response to what Jesus Christ has done for us. In the original Greek, the link between verses 2 and 3 is much tighter. It has a therefore in verse 3. Lazarus, raised from the dead, reclining at the table, therefore, Mary responded in this way. Faith is never a leap in the dark. It is always based on the facts. Now, of course... I know we weren't around back then when Lazarus was raised from the dead, and it's not exactly an everyday occurrence, and so we're probably feeling a little bit skeptical about it, particularly if we're new to Christian things. But as we said, saw at the start, this is precisely why Jesus wrote his gospel. There are many other signs not recorded, but these are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and by believing, have life in his name. In other words, here is an invitation to examine the evidence to use our brains, to think rationally, to think critically about what is going on here. Um, Sign up to one of the Christianity Explored courses. Woody will say something about that later. Follow the evidence for yourself, not just with Lazarus, who would die again, but ultimately with Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, never to die again. Examine the facts, the empty tomb, the bones of Jesus Christ, to this day, never been found. Examine the evidence of the 500 eyewitnesses who saw Jesus Christ risen from the dead. 
Think about the fact that how is it possible that almost overnight, thousands of Jewish people suddenly turn to worship a human being as divine, even though for thousands of years previously, everything in their culture and religion said this was not only impossible, but heretical. Faith in Jesus Christ is so much more than facts and evidence, as we see in Mary's love and devotion towards Jesus, but it is still based upon them. And so if you're someone here wrestling with doubts, struggling to believe whether you call yourself a Christian or not, here is a great place to start, a great place to come back to, and that is the objective facts about Jesus Christ. His perfect life, his authoritative words, his miraculous acts, as recorded in the Bible for us. And for those of us here who do believe in Jesus Christ, believe him to be the resurrection and life and to have this sort of power over death itself, well, I wonder how does our love and our own devotion match up to Mary's? Do we treasure Jesus in our hearts as much as she does? If others looked at the way we spend our money, would they conclude, wow, this person really loves Jesus Christ? Or do we care too much what other people think about us? Well, look, if that's the faith of Mary, let's move on secondly to the unbelief of Judas and the chief priests. Because in verses four to six, Judas is not happy. Why wasn't the, this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's a fair question, is it not? I mean, if this perfume is worth a year's wages, which as we said before is about 20,000 pounds in today's uh, money, surely it could be put to better use. Feeding the poor, housing the homeless, rather than giving Jesus the most expensive foot massage ever. I mean, what a waste. But notice what we're told in verse six. Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, isn't that telling? That what seems like a serious question at first actually has some pretty serious undertones to it. That what seems like a genuine concern for the poor is actually no more than a mask for his own selfish concerns and lining his own pockets. Beware pious talk that is no more than a cover-up for sin. And this from one of the 12 disciples, one of the hand-picked disciples by Jesus Christ. But Judas's love of money holds him back from a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not just love of money in these verses, holding people back from faith in Jesus Christ. Look at the uh, chief priests in verses 9 to 11. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Now, do you just see the pure jealousy of the chief priests here? because Jews are going over to believe in him. They're the religious leaders. They have the power. They want to hold on to the power. 
and the lengths they will go to now to try and keep that power and try and kill Lazarus. I mean, they don't deny Jesus' power over death. They can clearly see him risen from the dead right before their eyes. And yet they are the ones plotting to kill Jesus, kill Lazarus, not just Jesus, and to bury the evidence that's right there before their eyes. So look, who are the irrational ones now? People often say to me, if I was alive back then, saw Lazarus raised from the dead, then I would believe. People ever say that to you if you're a Christian? Have you ever thought that yourself? Would you? Really? Judas didn't because of his love of money. The chief priests, the religious leaders, the ones waiting for the Messiah didn't because of their love of power. So what might be going on in your heart right now that would hold you back from belief in Jesus Christ? Noted atheist and philosopher Thomas Nagel in his book, The Last Word, said this about his own unbelief. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Now, do you see what he's saying? He's saying we're not neutral when it comes to belief in God. He's saying each of us have a vested interest in this because if God is real, then there is real accountability over my life, over my money, over my reputation. But what if I love my, my money and love my power and don't want God to be in charge of all that? Then I will push the evidence to one what side. Try and bury it, ignore it, so I can keep on living the life the way I want to because I don't want a universe like that. So, second thing to see here is by all means, when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ, examine the evidence. Use your brains, think rationally, follow where the evidence leads, but at the same time, we need to engage our hearts and recognize what is going on inside them with our own loves and our own desires and what we really want. A fundamental question we need to ask ourselves is do I actually want this to be true? Do I really want a universe like that? Because perhaps ultimately the problem is not with Jesus, the problem's with me. What we often say here, not a lack of information, but a lack of inclination in our own hearts. And for those of us here who do love Jesus and are keen to share the message of Jesus with others, it is easy for us to forget this fundamental barrier to belief. There we are, pointing people to the evidence for Jesus Christ, pointing friends and colleagues to the evidence for the resurrection, when actually their, their problem's not there. Actually, their problem is the fact that they've got something in their life that they don't want to let go of and get rid of. Money, power, a sexual ethic, which means they will keep pushing away the evidence no matter how much you throw it and keep pointing them to it. And we need to be aware of that in our own hearts and the hearts of others, and we need to engage with it. Now, here's the question. How do you engage with that? Well, come with me thirdly and finally to the death of Jesus Christ. This is where everything's heading. This is where everything is pointing these last seven days in the life of Jesus. We saw in verse one that we are now six days before the Passover. This is the most important festival in the Jewish calendar. This is where God's people celebrated his rescue of them at the time of the Exodus with a Passover lamb, a substitute, a lamb dying in their place. 
But now a greater rescue is coming. Jesus Christ, chapter one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the third time the Passover is mentioned in John's gospel. The previous two times Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. My time is not yet here. But now, verse 12, do you see? That time has come as Jesus heads on his way to Jerusalem. Not as the king we might expect, verses 14 to 15, on this powerful horse, but on a humble donkey. As Jesus Christ is prepared to lay down all his power, all his authority, as he goes to the cross for you and for me and for the sake of all humanity. And there in the middle of it all, verse 7, we see Jesus' rebuke to Judas. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. In other words, this act of Mary and this devotion to Jesus is totally appropriate, even though it costs 20,000 pounds, because there is nothing more valuable than Jesus Christ and his death for us. Whether Mary realizes it or not, she is preparing Jesus for his burial. The poor you will always have with you, Jesus says, so yes, we must be concerned for them, but we will not always have Jesus Christ with us. He knows he is about to die and give up his life as your and my Passover lamb, as your and my substitute. He is about to die in our place for our sin so that God's judgment passes over us. That is the only means of eternal life. That is the only means of forgiveness. That is the only means of seeing our loved ones again. Our only means of being part of a perfect world again. Jesus Christ giving up his life for you and for me. The death of Jesus Christ. So can I ask, do you see the value of it as you come this lunchtime? Do you treasure it? Do you see the worth of it? What Jesus has done for you, the love he has for you. Because this is the key for change. The more we see this and appreciate it, just how, what Jesus has done for us, his love for us, we will find ourselves letting go of these other things of the world and committing ourselves to the one who loves us like no one else. Right now, my two-year-old is at that stage where he loves to grab anything he can get his hands on, which includes any of his siblings' toys and anything that belongs to them. And the other day, he grabbed hold of a drawing which one of my other daughters had just painted. And I hate it when these situations happen because I'm trying desperately to reason with him to give it back. And he, of course, he doesn't want to, so he's just holding on tight. And you try and prise his fingers off the picture and he just holds it even tighter. And I know if my daughter tries to grab and wrestle it back herself, what's gonna happen? It's gonna rip in half. So what do you do in those situations? Well, I got one of his favorite snacks, the one that he loves. I said, hey, Jacob, Look at this snack. You want this? Immediately, let's go of the sheet, runs across to the snack. Problem dealt with. What is going on there? A greater love drives out a lesser love. And so it is with Jesus Christ. The more you see just how much he loves you, his devotion, his care, his commitment to you that he goes for, to his death for you, then the more you will let go of these other things that you love so much in the world, money, power, reputation, whatever it is. Because you see the one who is behind it all, 
you will actually start to love these things the right order and the right amount. A greater love dries out a lesser. How are you going to trust this guy, Jesus? How are you going to put your faith in him? By realizing what he has done for you in his death for you. So faith in Jesus Christ, examine the evidence. Absolutely. It's all based upon that reality. But engage your hearts and recognize that we have a vested interest in this. There'll be certain things holding us back that we don't want to give to Jesus and ultimately look at his death, see what he's done for you and let his love for you, his greater love for you set you free from all these other lesser loves in the world. And the more we do that, the more we'll run to him, put our faith in him, believe in him and be devoted to him. Well, let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this next part of John's gospel where we see Mary's sheer devotion towards you. And it is not a waste because whether she realized it or not, she was preparing you for your burial, your death as the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Please would you help each and every one of us wherever we're coming from today to see just the central importance of Jesus' death, what it achieved and what it means for your care, commitment, devotion, love towards us and towards humanity. Would that please set us free from any of the things we're clinging on to here that would hold us back from you? And so would we run to you, put our faith in you, trust you even more, and see that devotion increase. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.